Good afternoon, everyone. We are here today at the Alberta Health Services base for HealthLink 811 calls in Calgary. For those of you who don't know me, I'm RJ Sigurdsson and the EMS Parliamentary Secretary. I'm pleased to welcome everyone and I thank Alberta Health Services for hosting us today. Today I'm being joined by Minister of Health Jason Copping, Dr. John Cowell, Official Administrator for Alberta Health Services and Dr. Francois Belanger, Vice President and Chief Medical Officer for Health, Alberta Health Services. We're here today to provide an update on the work underway as a part of the Health Care Action Plan to reduce emergency medical services response times. Before I invite the Minister to speak, I want to note that we are here at this available space that looks very much like the space registered nurses support 811 a couple floors away. We're doing so so we do not interfere with HealthLink operations. We want to be respectful of those who are working and the Albertans who are trying to connect. And with that, Minister Copping. Thanks so much, RJ. Uh, good afternoon, everyone. Thank you so much for coming. It's uh, it's great to be here today at the uh, one of the HealthLink call centers based in Calgary, which as uh, Emily Sigurdsson mentioned, is, is in this building. As, as many of you know, registered nurses play an important role in providing care and guidance to Albertans in a wide range of settings, including 811. And today I'm pleased to be here to announce the uh, launch of the EMS 811 Shared Response Program, which gives EMS dispatchers the ability to transfer calls not requiring an ambulance response to 811. Now, before I share more, first, I want to sincerely thank all our emergency communication officers in dispatch centers across the province for literally answering the call of duty day after day. In many cases, they are the first person responding to a crisis. They work to support more than a thousand Albertans a day on the other end of the line who are scared, in severe pain, or, or even worse. Their job is not easy. Call volumes are up 30% over the past 18 months. The significant increase in calls has also meant challenges finding available ambulances to send to emergencies quickly, which increases pressures on paramedics across our entire province. Now, many people are working hard to address the challenges in this process and make changes to ease the pressures on our frontline workers. As I've been saying, help is on the way. And I'm here to update you on our priority actions to bring down EMS response times through our health care action plan. Stepping down non-urgent 911 calls to HealthLink, where clinically appropriate, began mid-January. This shared response between EMS and 811 will help make sure more ambulances are available to respond to urgent 911 calls sooner. Every minute counts for Albertans with a serious medical emergency. And providing dispatchers with the ability to assess a call and divert non-urgent issues to the dedicated team of experienced nurses at HealthLink is a win for Albertans. This change frees up paramedics to focus on life-threatening and urgent calls. Now, this has always been our top priority. Transferring calls to 811 will also help those who need support with non-urgent conditions but don't know what to do or where to turn. Callers who are transferred to HealthLink will speak with a registered nurse who will do a further assessment of the caller's situation. 
The nurse can then provide health advice and referrals as needed. Now, Dr. Cowell will share more details on what Albertans can expect when they call 911 for a medical situation. Now, stepping down these calls will mean freeing up ambulances and paramedics up to 40,000 calls a year where an ambulance response isn't required. That is significant. We've seen other jurisdictions like Nova Scotia and other areas in British Columbia, Ontario and Quebec successfully move in this direction to deal with non-urgent calls. And this is just one of the priority actions underway to lower EMS response times. Other work includes fast-tracking transfers from paramedics to emergency departments to get ambulances back on the road sooner, and changing the way we handle low-acuity transfers between hospitals and facilities in Edmonton and in Calgary. These particular changes will free ambulances from nearly 45,000 transfers that don't need an advanced level of care. And all of these actions will improve our healthcare system and speed up our EMS response times. Albertans deserve to get the best quality of care available. And we are determined to fix the healthcare system. And I will continue to provide regular updates on the progress of our healthcare action plan. So once again, thank you for watching. And I'd like to turn it over to Dr. Cowell. Dr. Cowell. Well, from my point of view, this is a, a great day. This is uh, one of the exciting uh, initiatives that we're putting in place uh, as part of the four priorities. And this is a particularly interesting one uh, because it takes advantage of our skill set in both the EMS dispatch and our health resources over in 811, bringing these two aspects of our uh, Alberta Health Services together is going to result in something I think you're going to hear as very meaningful. So as I continue to provide you updates on uh, the role that I've been assigned, improving EMS response times, decreasing emergency department wait times, reducing wait times for surgeries, and improving patient flow throughout the healthcare system, this excellent initiative is going to you know, touch on at least two out of those four very directly. So as the Minister and uh, <clears throat> Mr. Sigerson have said, we're really pleased to announce uh, this uh, program, which actually started about two weeks ago. So we can really give you results already of what this is uh, able to provide. The shared response is, as I say, a collaboration between these two uh, parts of Alberta Health Services in a highly safe, high-quality, professional way that ensures that Albertans will get the care they need where and when they need it. So this is how it looks, and Dr. Belanger will follow up with even more details. When a 911 call comes to EMS, a trained emergency communications officer called a call evaluator will evaluate the call, and an ambulance is immediately dispatched as soon as they know the correct address. However, the evaluator continues to assess the caller. Callers who are assessed through this very careful objective process in EMS, who are assessed as not serious and not urgent and do not need an ambulance response are then directly connected to our 811 registered nurse, uh, the registered nurses in our 811 health link center. 
the ambulance response then is called off. And that's freeing up the ambulance to be available along with its crew for other emergencies. <clears throat> the HealthLink nurses use their genuinely powerful health experience to assess the caller's condition just like they would for any other caller and provide advice, guidance, and connection to appropriate care. By tra transferring these low acuity calls to 811, we will safely avoid unnecessary ambulance responses and ensure ambulances are available for emergencies. If during their assessment that they confirm that an ambulance should go, they have an immediate cross-link back to dispatch and the ambulance will carry on and look after that patient. <clears throat> so we are seeing very, very positive early results. And Dr. Belanger will speak more specifically about that shortly. Um, but just an early comment, already we're seeing 6% of our calls being transferred to 811. And you can imagine what a positive impact that's going to have on the more effective use of our ambulances, freeing them up for the calls that really demand their attention. Um, <clears throat> you know, in a word, patients are now getting the right care from the right provider, which means improved patient flow, which is another one of the areas that I'm interested in with more appropriate specific ambulance usage. So Dr. Belanger, who is our chief medical officer, will come forward in a few minutes. And it was under his leadership that this very creative program really came into being. Also today, I would just like to comment on that we're launching uh, a request for interest in the community for transporting patients who do not require emergency care between facilities. You might know it as interfacility transfers. Too often, our ambulances are used for patients that don't really require emergency care level in those trucks. So we want to have another tool at our disposal that's appropriate for the person in that uh, transfer vehicle, <coughs> but which does not tie up those ambulances we critically need to be available on the street. So that's just another tool that we are implementing quite quickly to ensure that our ambulance fleet is using, being used very effectively so that we'll, you know, <clears throat> code reds will become a thing of the past because we will always have enough ambulances ready. I suppose you already know, too, that some time ago it was decided that ambulances would not be dispatched to non-injury sites. You know, in the past they would go, but now that doesn't happen. I guess the other thing I'd remind you of is that paramedics are now able to assess, treat, and refer patients that do not require transport to the hospital after they've been to the scene. They can arrive at a scene, and they have direct contact with medical physician backup right there, and a, a decision could be made whether or not that transport really was necessary. So I'm supporting and accelerating all these actions, especially the two that I just spoke to today, and we're going to continue to provide regular updates whenever possible <coughs> so that you are kept apprised of what we're doing. 
So at this point, I would like to invite Mr. Sigurdsson back to the podium. Thank you, Dr. Cowell. Uh, once again, uh, good afternoon, everyone. I'm glad to be here today with a great team of registered nurses at HealthLink. I know most people don't get an opportunity to meet registered nurses with 811 or the emergency communications officers in 911, so I would like to extend a heartfelt thank you on behalf of all Albertans for your service going above and beyond every day to help us, our loved ones, and our friends in our communities. I've had the pleasure to engage with emergency communications officers during my previous role as co-chair of the EMS Provincial Advisory Committee, and I continue to do so in my current role as Parliamentary Secretary of EMS Reform. I'm a believer in listening to staff on the ground. They know what's best, what's working, and what can be done better. They provided me with valuable insight and advice and I'm committed to act on many of these solutions. And this commitment is part of the reason we are here today. One of the advisory committee recommendations was to explore ways to assist 911 callers with non-urgent health conditions. I'm pleased AHS has begun the joint EMS 811 approach. This change is about providing the appropriate level of care for Albertans where and when they need it. It gives dispatchers the ability to transfer calls to 811 and ease the strain on EMS workers. It will help paramedics focus their efforts on the most urgent calls, where their level and expertise of care is most needed. Our healthcare action plan is delivering on a promise to fix the emergency medical services and get ambulances to Albertans with serious medical emergencies sooner. We will continue to push ahead with actions that help strengthen our system and we will do it together with our EMS partners. Thank you, and I will now turn it over to Dr. Francois Belanger. Thank you, and um, welcome everyone. I just want to offer my sincere appreciation and thank you to Dr. Cowell, and also Minister Copping for their support uh, for this initiative. As Dr. Cowell noted, we are taking action and making progress. EMS and 811 have worked together to implement EMS 811 shared response. Our EMS emergency communication officers are connecting low acuity EMS callers directly to HealthLink 811. HealthLink is providing further assessment of support with that, those calls. Since January 16th, EMS has assessed more than 1,000 calls as low acuity and connected them to 811. Just to give you an example of what the results are. Amongst the patients who were assessed by HealthLink's uh, registered nurses, 20% were advised they may care for themselves at home. 40% were advised to see primary care physician. Common concerns that we have seen refer to 811 from EMS include non-emergency events such as constipation, insomnia, or sleeplessness, or earaches. Approximately 80% of the calls sent to 811 were redirected by 811 back to EMS for clinical reasons. Another 28% of the calls redirected back to EMS were for other reasons, primarily a patient requiring transportation. EMS and HealthLink teams are actively collaborating and confident that return transfers will be further minimized in the future. 
to see more than a thousand calls transferred to 811 to get help in another more appropriate care environment is truly remarkable. This will have significant impact on our efforts to reduce EMS response time, reduce emergency department wait times, and improve patient flow through the health system. As our EMS and 811 teams grow more comfortable with the shared response and adjust and learn, we anticipate we will continue to see more calls diverted and more Albertans receiving the care they need from the most appropriate provider. We will also continue our efforts to educate Albertans about this process. We know and appreciate that the public also need reassurance that it will still get the help that they need when they need it. As Dr. Cowell also noted, we are going to also go to market with a procurement process. This procurement process is aimed at assessing qualification and interests of third parties who could provide paramedic transport care for inter-facility transports in place of our EMS ambulances. Responses will then be evaluated by an AHS team. We anticipate evaluation will be complete by early April 2023, and we will update on next steps at that time. I want to thank the fantastic EMS 811 contract procurement and supply management teams for their dedication, innovation, and passion. We're lucky to have them. These qualities have allowed us, have allowed excellent ideas to become a reality effectively, rapidly, and will benefit all Albertans. Thank you as well to Dr. Cowell and to the Minister for their support for their teams. We will now play for you a brief clip from a mock EMS 811 shared response call. This is not the full call, which is available by link in your news release. This clip, this clip of call illustrates the diligence and care of our teams and the type of call that is more appropriately managed by 811. Can we start the audio, please? I know this is also featured on your live feed. Thank you. Ambulance dispatch for what town or city? I have had a rash on my arm for the past two days. Is your breathing normal for you? Yes, it is. Are you bleeding or vomiting blood? No, no, nothing like that. Okay, thank you for answering my questions. I am going to connect you with a registered nurse at HealthLink. Our initial assessment indicates that you do not need to go to hospital by ambulance right now. HealthLink, Jasmine speaking. I'm a registered nurse. How may I help you? Instead of sending you to the emergency department by ambulance, I can refer you to the HealthLink's virtual medical referral program. Includes the formal portion of our avail. Um, we'll go first to questions in the room. If you could uh, state your name and outlet at the microphone. Um, go ahead. Can you hear me okay? Oh, great. Uh, Alana Smith with the Globe and Mail. My question is for Minister Copping. Uh, I'm just wondering about children's acetaminophen. It looks like it's been approved from Atabay uh, for the importation to Alberta pharmacies. So can you say how many bottles this is of the 4.75 million that are remaining, and then provide a status update for ibuprofen. 
Yeah, so the um, it, it it was approved. Uh, the shipment was approved. Like the, the remaining shipment is approved. My understanding is, uh, but it's still subject to final approvals for the labels. So even though the uh, the um, uh, the dosage was approved and and the overall shipment was approved, uh, it hasn't you know been approved for shipment here to to Alberta. So we're working, waiting, uh, and working with Health Canada for the labels get approved, and then we'll have a better timeline on uh, on how much acetaminophen, how much ibuprofen, all the details. We haven't got all that yet. So it's you know positive step forward. Like we, we you know we got the uh, the. Uh, um, the dosage uh, dosage approved, but we still have a few more steps to get through before we can finalize all the questions and know what the timelines of it coming in. I'm I am hopeful it is days, but I've I've, I've been hopeful for a while. But yeah, it, I'm hopeful that is days. And sorry, so that's for acetaminophen and ibuprofen, or what are you? It's are you talking I, about? I haven't got the detail on 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 both of that yet. Um, it's just the the uh, my uh, initial assessment that with with staff is is that it, it it is for both, but it's we're not crystal clear on that yet. Uh, so we're actually working with Health Canada. We do know though that the labels still need to be approved, um, so it's not coming quite yet. Okay, gotcha. And then sorry, just my follow up for that. I'm just wondering at what point, you know, are you worried that there's not going to be as much of a need or desire for these sort of medications to come to Alberta? Because it's been already two months since the original announcement. Yeah, so we are on ongoing uh, uh, conversations with the uh, pharmacy. Uh, uh, the pharmacy community. Uh, there still is a shortage here, um, so we are quite comfortable that you know the for Alberta um, that we uh, uh, we will still need um, the, the the shipments and it's and and again um, the shelf life on this is two years, so it's not just about this season; it's about next season as well. Uh, in addition, uh, we're continuing to work with uh, other provinces uh, should they have uh, need, uh, and we'll be able to share that as well. Thanks very much. Uh, next question. Uh, hi, Alyssa Carpenter, Global News. Um, I'm just wondering, you mentioned that in the last two weeks, it's been uh, about a thousand calls that were able to be diverted for 2811. Uh, I'm wondering prior to the implementation of this, uh, how many ambulances, how often were ambulances being dispatched in this province that were not needed? Yeah, so my, my understanding is that, that you know, on there would be it would be a large percentage of that now EMS crews still have the ability to make the call and whether they're going to bring someone in but D dispatch two uh, it, it would have been the uh, uh, pr nearly the, the full amount but I'm going to ask actor Dr. Belanger to uh, to comment on that yeah so EMS always responds to request an ambulance that was kind of the work uh, the workflow that we had you know, our modeling shows that we anticipate that uh, low acuity calls will respond to approximately between 10 and 20 percent. So we're early days. We've done two weeks, and we anticipate that the number of units that going to be uh, that we're going to be able to uh, redeploy more effectively will be around 10 percent. That's where our goal is. Thank you. But do we have modeling, or do we have the numbers that show, like prior to this, how how often were we sending ambulances to non-emergency calls in which no patient ever needed to be transported? Yeah, I think if you look at kind of the experience of other jurisdictions, as I said, it's around between ten and twenty percent. Yeah. Thank you. Okay. Right, do you have a follow-up? I actually do. Uh, is there any impact if we're if we're diverting a thousand calls, you know, in this short period of time? Is there any impact on regular Albertans who just want to call eight one one? Will they see uh, a delay in trying to get through if uh, the EMS dispatch system is is using those lines? So 
I'll start off the answer. The so we we do appreciate that this is going to actually put more um, pressure on A11. So we resources are being added to A11, and including nurses. But I'm going to ask Patricia Chain, uh, Chambers, who's uh, to uh, comment exactly on that because she's in charge of of A11. Thank you. Um, yes, HealthLink was able to add some extra resources, and this shared response line doesn't actually impact the regular 811 line. Um, these calls are coming from EMS over to 811 on a specific dedicated line, and those those calls are, are going and being answered by our team of registered nurses. If we do send a call back to EMS, it as well is going on a different specific dedicated line, so it does not interfere with any other Albertan calling 811. Thank you. Hi, this is Stephanie Thomas from CTV Calgary. I think my question is going to be for the health minister, Jason Copping. Um, I'm wondering if there's going to be additional training for those call evaluators, uh, just given that it seems like there's a lot more importance for them to be able to assess the severity of that call before they make that choice, whether it is moved on. So the, the short answer is yes, um, but I am going to get... Um uh, Jim Garland, uh, who's responsible for the 911, to actually talk about what specifically they're doing on that. Yes, thanks for the question. Um, we uh, follow evidence-based protocols in uh, evaluating 911 calls, and those evidence-based protocols are um, supported by um, an auditing process that's very robust and uh, feeds our quality improvement program. So we continue to do that. As we use these protocols to identify low-acuity calls, we continue to assess and make sure that the protocols are being followed and are compliant. Again, I think my follow-up might be for Jason Copping, but uh, for many Albertans who might have used 811, oftentimes the advice is to go see a physician or even go to the emergency department. So how can you ensure that there wouldn't be then a backlog at the ERs if that's going to be the direction of, uh, of a 811 caller receiver? So thanks for the question, and I've heard that before in terms of you call eight one one, and then they say you know go to the uh, go to the emergency department, and, and in certain cases that is that is appropriate. Uh, I am going to ask um, uh, folks from eight one one, like Trish, to actually comment on this uh, this again, um, as uh, Dr. Belanger already indicated. The transfer from 911 to 811, they do in the assessment. Now there still is an opportunity that that may actually go back go go backwards. Now again, it's low acuity. Right at the at the end of the day, so it can go back the other way, and there's that flexibility there as you learn more throughout the uh, throughout the process. Um, but you know, in regards to eight one one generally, uh, they're improving that all the time, uh, and then also the you know, there has been the addition of uh, of uh, uh, you know doctors being being involved in that process as well to be able to do uh, better triage and better assessment. You know, because you know we have. Great people working in the system with a, a huge amount of skill to be able to do the uh, the triage triage assessment, but sometimes they reach a, a point where they don't have that capability, and then they need uh, someone else, like a doctor, to step in. So work is being done to actually improve that, and I do know that eight one one is is tracking that. But uh, Trish, if I can ask you to comment on that, please. Thank you. There's actually a number of different uh, ways and services that HealthLink directs our callers to A11. Um, it's actually less than 20% of those callers that actually do get directed to an emergency room. Now, with these additional calls coming from 911 over to 811, 
you know, we're actually diverting callers away from the emergency room because many of these low acuity callers were headed to the emergency room to begin with. So having the caller speak with one of our registered nurses at HealthLink, we're able to assess them and assist them, sometimes with a referral to our virtual physician program, sometimes it's to other programs and services, and sometimes it's information just about the best way to care for themselves at home and what to watch for. Thank you. All right, I think we can go to the phones. Uh, operator can put through our first caller. Dean Bennett, Canadian Press. Oh, good afternoon. A question for uh, Minister Copping, please. Um, Minister, I wonder if you could help me out with something. Uh, you recall on the Premier's first day, uh, in office, you know, Sintra was out, and I will be guided by a team, I'll take public health advice from a team of scientific advisors. The Premier's office uh, told me in a statement a month later that she was working, the Premier was working directly with you to assemble this team, and it would be ready by Christmas. That didn't happen. And last week, the Premier's office told me that actually the team's not coming together because we're going to take advice from Preston Manning, which would suggest we're getting medical scientific advice from Preston Manning. I'm not sure how that would work, but I guess my question is what happened to the panel, sir? Yeah, so so as the uh, as the Premier's office indicated to you, um, you know, she has asked uh, Preston Manning and uh, to look at uh, the Alberta government's uh, response and then how do we improve that going forward so that that work is do, being uh, being done. Uh, and as well as, you know, uh, uh, she has asked me in terms of my mandate letter and working with the HQCA to look at the data. Um, so assessment of the data that was that was used to be able to, to measure the impact on Alberta and then how do we improve that going forward. So that is the work uh, that is being done. Yeah, I appreciate that, but that's not what you guys promised. You promised an ongoing panel of scientific and medical advisors. That is not happening. Why not, sir? So... That, that is not happening. What our focus is, is on doing any, an assessment for, as the, the Premier indicated, you know, a panel led by uh, Preston Manning to assess the, um, you know, what we did during the, uh, the pandemic and how do we, you know, what tools that we need from a legislative standpoint, for example, in terms of how to better manage that going forward, and then taking a look at the data for the HQCA. So uh, that's, you know, the data in terms of the HQCA is in my mandate letter, and, th and that's what I'm focused on as a Minister of Health. Thank you very much. Uh, operator, can you put through the next caller? Catherine Gowski, Operator Today. Hi, thanks for taking my question. I had, I guess, a couple questions about this 811 mechanism. I thought that there was already that dedicated line where 811, if there was an emergency, could um, bump it to 911. I'm just wondering if that's the same line and whether you're monitoring uh, whether this uh, new assessment process has increased the length of time dispatchers are on the phone to assess callers to determine whether 811 is more appropriate for them. Yeah, so I'll, um, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll let the, the experts speak on the 811 system and the 911 system in terms of the assessment. What I, what I can say is, as part of this process, there is an availability. Like this, what's new is the ability to move from 911 to 811 
and then as part of that process to move back. But in terms of whether that was there before, I'll ask Trish to to to, uh, to uh, comment on that. And then and, and then uh, on the uh, the impact of the um, uh, on EMS in terms of the dispatch time, I'll ask Jim to comment on that. So Trish. Thank you. HealthLink has always had the ability to move calls to 911 when um, appropriate. This is a new program and this is actually a new dedicated line that has been added into HealthLink. So again, uh, somebody else calling 811 just themselves and they're needing we're needing to transfer that call to 911 we always have had that ability we still have that ability but this is an, a new line it's a new dedicated line that is between 811 and 911 Jim uh, I think I understood the question. What's the impact to the call evaluation time for our 911 ECOs when going through this workflow? Um, it hasn't changed. We're still using the same protocols to evaluate the caller's um, symptoms and complaints. And uh, if it meets the criteria, then it's just moved over to the um, our colleagues at HealthLink. And with the dedicated line, there's very little if to no wait time. Thanks, Catherine. Do you have a follow-up? I do. Um so we've we've heard about this EMS, and we've also previously heard some updates on the surgical wait times. But there were four goals in this healthcare action plan that were supposed to be reported on within 90 days. Um, it's been more than 90 days. I'm wondering when we're hearing when we're going to hear um, an update on the decrease in emergency room wait times, as well as goal four, the empower frontline workers to deliver healthcare. I'm removing my mask as I choke a bit with, with, with it on. So, um, and I'm far enough away, so please don't worry. Um, <clears throat> yes, that's a great question, and the report is coming. I would say within two weeks, we have it well in hand. We've been in, uh, focused very hard on being able to share with you actual results, and that's what I would really like to be able to include in my report with you. So. Yes, their 90-day report. I think I think I'm still within time on that. Uh, so our goal is to have it probably about the second week or third week of February. Thank you very much, operator. Can you put through the next caller? Lisa Johnson, Edmonton Journal. Hi, thanks for taking my question. Just to follow up on what Catherine was asking, Dr. Cowell, you were appointed on November 17th. So um, I, I guess I'm wondering why you've shot so far past the original deadline of 90 days. Like, what? why has it taken longer than 90 days? Um, well, am I adding correctly? 90 days is three months, so February 17th. January 17th, December 17th, I'm pretty close to the time, but uh, <laughs> I don't, we did not give you our 60-day, if you're thinking about that. We did miss that uh, because we didn't feel we had enough to tell you. And, oh, okay. and as I said before, it's coming within date, so, and I really want to, now I've been giving you sneak previews, of course with uh, the updates on, like for today, is 
a form of update on our actions to reduce response times. And you also heard about the non-ambulance transfer, and you also heard about the um, <clears throat> bridge healing project, all of which combined to reduce uh, ED flow time. And yeah, more coming. There's a lot of work going on, and I'm actually looking forward to the day when I can share all of the things that we're doing in a very, very professional, meaningful way so that you'll have lots of data and lots of narrative to work with. Coming soon. Thank you. Do you have a follow-up? Yeah, thank you. Sorry, thanks for clarifying. It was 60 days um, that was missed. Um, I'm wondering, Premier Smith has previously promised um, that your position, um, this was before you were appointed, but your, your role would also include working with uh, an independent body like the Alberta Health Quality Council to do a health facility audit, um, including providing recommendations for future action. And so I'm wondering if that audit is still being done, if it's been abandoned, and if, if Minister, perhaps you could tell me what guided the decision not to, to have the Health Quality Council involved in that specific piece. Um, I'm not sure I was directed to work directly with the Quality Council on that particular activity. We have an internal audit going on, uh, looking very carefully at our bed capacity and our bed utilization as it uh, relates to patient flow and access, and that's very critical. We need to know that, uh, the results of that, to be sure that, in fact, we're uh, making the maximum use and effective use of our acute care bed capacity because as we've said many times if the acute care bed capacity is overwhelmed then it backs up into our ability to flow through the emergency department because now in effect we have patients admitted into the emergency department that are waiting to get up on the wards and that is not a good thing because it causes congestion in the whole system and going along with that we're working very hard to find out uh, better ways of moving and discharging our patients back to community. That means back home uh, with home care if it's needed or forward into long-term care or supportive living. So all of those actions are being very carefully uh, looked into. And uh, yeah, so, and I mean, I could tell you, I think it's improving, but I actually want to show you that it is improving as soon as I possibly can. Uh, and also get very specific about the specific actions we're taking on each of that. And I would say the same thing is true on our promise to uh, reduce surgical wait times and the number of people that are waiting for surgery. So, yeah, within the next couple of weeks, we're going to have completed our work on that. And that's when, again, we'll reach out and call everybody together and we'll be publishing our report on that. So the 90-day report's actually in progress. We're working on it. Um, many of my team are around me, and they're nodding yes. So that's what I would have to say on that. <clears throat> Thanks very much. I think we have time for one more caller. Operator can put through the last caller. Jenny Glaze, C-H-A-H, My Radio. Hi, uh, my name is Jenny Glaze, and um, my, I, I wanted to thank you for being uh, forthright and and, and uh, bringing this information to us, 
It's been very helpful. Um, I'm an intern, so I'm just starting out in media, so just be a little patient with me. I'm a bit nervous. Um, I do have a question that I that had been brought up about um, the acetaminophen with the shortages. Are there other medications that are on shortage? Like I know of, of one that was in the last couple of weeks, but um, does the public know about that? And, and if there are shortages of other prescriptions, how does that go about that the patients and the, and the doctors are made aware of that? Do they know that ahead of time? Or? Yeah, th thanks for the question and, and uh, good luck on your internship. The, uh, the, um, we are tracking, and my, my understanding is that, you know, uh, not only Health Canada, but, you know, in terms of working with the, uh, uh, the pharmacy associations in terms of uh, challenges out there, it's uh, acetaminophen, obviously, and ibuprofen, particularly for kids, and then even some of the adults' cough medicine, we know that, that there is a significant shortage. Um, we are watching a, uh, um, a number of other um, uh, drugs that are not, not acute at this point in time, but they're watching it with concern. And I can't get, uh, if you, if you want to reach out to my office exactly, we can get you the, uh, uh, get you those, uh, those items that we are watching. Um, but it is primarily Health Canada then working with the, uh, uh, with the pharmacies in terms of uh, what the demands are out there. I don't know, Dr. Belanche, anything to add? The answer is that we, on the supply chain for, you know, um, for our, the, the, the medications and therapeutics that we need. It's constant work. And, you know, with the pandemic, there's been supply chain issues for the past three years. So we're managing this on a daily basis. You know, I think you're probably referring to uh, uh, one of our cancer drug, doxyrubicin, liposomal doxyrubicin, that we experienced shortage, but we, we, we managed to mitigate that. So there's, there's constant work in terms of, of optimizing a procurement in terms of drugs so that we ensure that we have a constant supply, and, and, and we work on a daily basis on that. Thank you. Thanks, Janine. Do you have a follow-up? Um, yeah. As, so, like, the medication that I'm talking about is probably, I, I would think, widely used. Um, it was specifically Vyvanse for ADHD. And so I'm just wondering um, how you help, you know, help the patients or the parents of the patients, if, if it's a parent of one, um, with navigating that. Yeah, I, I haven't I haven't heard of a of an issue with Vyvanse, but you know our office I'm happy to look into that, and we can get back to you on the de any any details on that. But no, that's the first I've heard Vyvanse being a, a challenge at this point in time. Thank you very much. Uh, that's all the time we have today. Um, thanks for coming out.